Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. And welcome to Earbuds and Airworms. I'm Amy. Shows up late to the show, Shepard, <laughs> and this is Mitchell Manley, live from Amy and Dakota's bedroom, I presume. <laughs> yes. Well, we do sleep in here. Right. It's indicated by the big bed. I gotcha. I see Actually, it now. It's soundproofing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So Mitchell Manley comes alive. Ear- earbuds and earworms comes alive. <laughs> well, it's a, I feel like there's so much we can go on, but I, yeah. That's, that's not earbuds and earworms stop, <laughs> stops making sense. That's the uh, Talking Heads live documentary. Oh, but does it come with that like really cool book that opens completely out, but it's like really awkward and stuff? That sounds probably right, but okay. maybe not. All right. I figure. Now, this week's theme is... Shows you've seen live. Yeah, bands that you've seen live, and, uh, you know, I just thought that that'd be a cool topic. You know, we've been trying to emphasize the the stories and, and little blurbs to accompany the suggestions from our ear buddies, and so I figured having the listeners describe the experience and impact of seeing a band that they love live, uh, that'd be a good way to draw out stories, so. Yeah, because there's usually always a story that's with a live show, because you have to get there. Mm-hmm. There's a story of how you ended up with tickets. There's the story of the venue. There's how, I mean, sometimes you just accidentally see an amazing band. Yeah, absolutely. Generally, you're trying to seek them out. Like, you're, like, carving a part of your life out to go and enjoy this with other people. So there's usually, like, some amazing story. And I just, I find so much joy in that. Yeah, see, seeing a band is, like... Seeing a band live is a lot different than listening to them on a record, you know, so it's definitely a unique musical experience. You know, some bands play note perfect to the album, and that's pretty cool, but, you know, some bands can never get it quite right and just suck live. (laughs) And then there's bands that do it, in my opinion, perfect, that sort of, uh, they change up their songs just enough to make it a unique experience and something that was worth going to, you know, driving six yeah. hours to go and catch this band and standing in line, and, <laughs> you know. Sometimes you do accidentally get some tickets. I got some. Tw- I got a Twenty One Pilots ticket, and I found out that they have more than one song. Oh, so they did play more than the single song. Yes, they did. It was amazing. Um, now I know you did not bring a Twenty One Pilots song. I definitely did not. <laughs> Who did you bring? So I brought a band called Mono, and the song is called Flames Beyond the Cold Mountain. Mono is a, they're a Japanese post-rock band, like all instrumental music and like super influenced by soundscapes and film scores and all that sort of stuff. Um, They've always been one of my favorite bands and I was living in Murfreesboro in 2007 
and I heard that Mono was going to be playing in Nashville, which was about three, or in Knoxville, which was about three hours away, and they were going to be opening for another band I love called High on Fire. <laughs> and as much as I love High on Fire, who was headlining, Mono was the real reason I was going, but... Uh, their music's like super cinematic and dynamic and lots of parts that are really quiet and ambient and then burst into a wall of sound that just kind of feels leaves you feeling crushed. Uh, and their show definitely captured that sound very well. All the quiet parts were so quiet and delicate and you couldn't hear a peep from the audience. And then whenever they got loud, you could feel the bass and the drums in your chest, you know, like blowing your shirt back. <laughs> uh, it was very cathartic and just like this mind blowing. I just... After that, I just sat outside during High on Fire, and as much as I love them, I, I didn't even care anymore. I just, like, my mind was blown. And so I, I sat and uh, I talked to the bass player from Mono. She was out there selling shirts and DVDs, so I went and talked to her and told her how amazing it was and then just waited for my friend to come back out because he was still inside. Wow. Now, I was really caught off guard by this because I didn't know. I mean, I know you've seen a lot of shows, probably more shows than I've seen. I've seen a bunch. So I didn't. I, I didn't know what to expect, and this is, I think I usually reference, like, Death is the Road to All, which is from the Fountain sen- soundtrack, Okay, and it's a very ambient song that, like, builds and then bursts and then, like, comes back down and then, like, you know, builds again, and this song filled me with that same kind of, like, joy of the adventure and this, like, just calmness that you experience while you're listening to this because it's very purposeful. There is a definite repetition that's happening, but it's just like amazing. It's a very all encompassing experience of a song. And I think that this is something that jazz always wants to do and it never really hits me like that. But this, yeah, this, I would agree with that. Yeah. This way this is built. It's like, it's an experience yeah, and that for really, sure. it's amazing. And I loved it. And I bet that was an amazing show. Oh, God, it was so incredible. I I could almost feel my rib cage, and all I was listening to is on my MacBook. Yeah, I've I've seen tons of great shows in my life, uh, but usually when people ask me what the best show I've ever seen is, this is usually the first one that comes to mind. Oh, wow. That's great. What'd you bring, Amy? I I brought the Decemberist Eli the Barrow Boy. Eli the Barrow Boy, when they found him. Dressed all in corduroy, he had drowned in the river down the way. They laid his body down in a churchyard. But still, when the moon is out, with his push cart, he calls down the got to see them in 2005 and i don't know if they were popular then or not but they booked the exit in which is a pretty well-known kind of dive venue situation and it's pretty small in nashville i think it still exists Mm -hmm. um but i didn't know what to expect i was driving from work at like 
four or so to get to Nashville from Jackson, Tennessee. And it's a bit of a drive. So like speeding down in like this old crappy Saturn that my ex had. Mm -hmm. And all I remember is like being so excited and blasting the music on the way there. And like one of those like CD tape deck situations (laughs) because classy. And this song is from Picaresque, which was what they were touring at that time. And that whole, like, I hadn't been to a real show since I saw NSYNC at the Pyramid. <laughs> I was the, at that show, too. At, you really? Was it the one with Cisco and Pink and Pink didn't show up? No, it was with Mandy Moore as oh, the opener. <laughs> that would have been even better, honestly. That was in 1999. Oh, no, I was not at that one. <laughs> no. But I did see NSYNC later on. That was my fir- very first concert ever. How have you never told me? It was my first concert, too. <laughs> There's another idea for us eventually, maybe the first the concert first ever. first concert, except it will be both be NSYNC from us. <laughs> That's okay. Um, This song really captures a lot of that album uh the whole show was amazing because they're all story songs on there and i just i loved there's so many instrumentalists in the decemberist and i love their like sorrowful songs especially from this album and i loved being there and you know you sing along to these songs Mm -hmm. and it's just so like you accidentally harmonize no matter what right of course (laughs) i definitely do that and the rest of it was like I had to drive home at like 1 a.m. and the tire bro- broke. Like it, f- the tread flew off. Oh, yeah, like a blowout or whatever. But it wasn't a blowout because the tire was still full. Oh, I see. Is the tread just blew off? But that gotcha. car was so crappy that we're like, well, we can't turn the car off because we don't know if it'll start again. Oh, God. We've been stranded a few times in that car Yeek. before. So we drove 50 miles on a tire with no tread. Oh, my God, Amy. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm wearing the shirt now that yes, I bought at the show. It's and, a rad shirt. Uh, yeah, and it's now 13 years old, which is sad. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But it looks decent enough. And I just, I don't know, like my love of this band has continued to grow, but I've not gotten to see them since. Yeah, I would love to see them as well. Uh, so good. 2005 is about when I discovered the Decemberists, I think. And I, I think remember, a few people did that year. I remember playing this song for my, my senior English teacher. And she was like, this is very depressing. And I was like, yeah, it is, isn't it? But it was one of my favorite songs and still is. Um, yeah, I'd kill to see the Decemberists live. They have, like you said, tons of fun instrumentation. They got the bells and the horns and the mm-hmm. violins and the accordions. And everybody's playing all sorts of different instruments. Yeah, and, and tons of great harmonies, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen some footage of them online. Uh, one of them, they're singing the Mariner's <laughs> Revenge, which is this incredible revenge story based inside the belly of a whale. Yes. <laughs> and they had this huge, gigantic... Uh, inflatable whale just floating around and other cool nautical effects while they were while they were playing i can imagine it being quite the spectacle oh except back then it was all cardboard and they had somebody walking across at the top yes in the bottom part oh, going wow. low and That's everybody so had good. to scream and go Woo! i'm i'm way into that <laughs> have you ever listened to their ep the tain it's like yes it's 18 like a, minute long five I think songs it's 22 minutes and it's oh, the wow. story of the um an actual irish story Oh, really? I didn't realize it. It's based on That's my favorite thing they've ever released. Yes. It is so good. It's the cattle something, the cattle coin of somebody. I don't know. Somebody was giving me the history who was an English major when I was at Austin Bates. I have to get into it. Oh, it's so good. And they they performed it. 
in a show that was a series that I didn't get to see, and they did the long and short of it. So the first night they would do all their long songs. So the oh, second I remember night somebody telling me something yeah. about that. That would have been incredible. I know. So you get like the Tain, and then you get like the Mariners' Revenge yeah. song, and then the next night you would get like all their short songs, like Eli the Barrow Boy and O Valencia. <laughs> so, sorry, I, I love them. Our ear buddies also have gone to some shows, yeah. <laughs> and I their shows are amazing and eclectic and there is kind of a theme going with them jason p brings melt the bananas chain shot to have some fun I saw Melt Banana Live in 2007, 8-ish. They put on one of the most noisy, unique, fun shows I've ever been a part of. The 300 or so people in attendance were completely on the same wavelength as the band. No easy feat considering MB, Melt Banana, is a bit of an acquired taste, to put it lightly. Major takeaways. Yasuko Onuki is an amazing frontwoman. She was completely unfazed by the chaos right by the stage and seemed to invite it all, all the while delivering her unique vocals right in the face of people playing human bumper cars. The bass playing and guitars are so off-kilter and abstract, but they, but live, they completely make sense. Also, the pop melodies, again, very abstract, but they're there, totally shine through. I love this band on a level that's hard to express but they speak to me on a very deep emotional level. This is probably the most, this was so fun, funky, weird, and experimental, and just fun. That's all I got from this. I was like, this must have been insane. Yeah, I can't imagine seeing them live. Uh, not very many bands can be like dancey and simultaneously so abrasive. Uh, I knew about Melt Banana in high school, but I, I wasn't really ready for them at that time. But I've since discovered how unique they are. And everyone I know who's seen them live says it's one of the most intense experiences of their life. Uh, I have to imagine that they're loud as fuck. And I would have to imagine that it's no easy task to to still emphasize like the catchier, poppier parts of their songs, like Jason was talking about in a live situation where amps are blaring <laughs> and feeding back. Um, I've heard similar things about the band Lightning Bolt. Are you familiar with them at all? No, not uh, at all. A weird, noisy, chaotic two-piece, and they eschew a stage and instead just set up in the middle of the floor at shows and just allow everyone to surround them. And they just pummel <laughs> you to death with these like insane bass and drums. Um, yeah, I'd, I would love to catch Mel- Melt Banana. They're still around, but they just mostly play in Japan right now. So oh, man. Maybe they'll drop to... drop off in America soon. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, hopefully. Um, now, Matt S. <laughs> has kind of a love story. Yes, he does. He brought Saurus's A Natural Mystic.
those that are unaware, Mitchell Manley and I have a bromance that was kindled in no small part by him linking me to his old band's demo in early 2011. I fell ass over tin cups for the monster <laughs> riffs contained therein. At this juncture, the band had already broken up, but I promised him that if they ever played another show, I would move mountains to be there. Fast forward to late 2012, and I get word that this mythical band would be unleashing these songs on the world in a live setting one final time the following January. Knowing that I needed to attend the festivities, I make arrangements for the 13-hour drive from rural Pennsylvania to the land of the king. He's not talking about you, is he? (laughs) Technically, (laughs) no, but yes. At the 11th hour before leaving, calamity strikes. My partner in crime that was supposed to make the sojourn with me bails due to a horrible case of pneumonia. I was crushed. Thankfully, a good buddy offers to be my co-pilot with less than 12 hours notice before we need to hit the road. I clocked out of work at 5 p.m. Eastern and we hit the road bound for the fabled city of Memphis. We hauled Pulse for 12 hours straight and stopped to cop some Z's in Jackson. After awakening and stopping at various points in Madison County to see friends that I rarely get to see, the final, the final hour-long drive to Memphis is before us. We arrive at the fabled Buccaneer, just in time to catch the sound check. The band opens the set and the entire building is thrumming with energy. After working their way through most Okay. After working their way through most of the set, Mitchell and I lock eyes, and I know what is next. As the beginning of Natural Mystic kicks in, a feeling of euphoria washes over me and I feel a joy that is only eclipsed by the birth of my children. (laughs) The next three minutes and 11 seconds are one of my most cherished memories. Every person in the building is feeling the electricity, but nobody there could understand the elation I felt at the time. I get a big rubbery one thinking about it to this day. <laughs> oh, I love you, Lob. I love it so much. I can't add any more to that because that's just... Lum does have a way with words. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, what a night that was indeed. I'll definitely never forget it. Uh, I was so excited, mind blown, that he drove 13 hours just to see my band play a final show. You know, we weren't like massively popular necessarily, but we had a pretty solid fan base when we were an active band. So whenever Lum talks about the energy, like you could definitely feel the energy in that room. Uh, I remember, like he said, like locking eyes with him. And, could and you like, feel the electricity between you? Yeah, definitely. The, <laughs> the chemicals between us, as Gavin Rossdale says. Um, yeah, you could just like feel the anticipation as we were setting up our gear and cranked up the amps. And the Buccaneer is a pretty tiny spot. And like even from my spot behind the drums, I remember you could just feel every musical punch just pulsating from the floor and up your body as we played. And like you know, knowing it was going to be our last hurrah, we just left every ounce of ourselves on stage and played a show deserving of his twelve-hour drive. Um, as a side note, I do remember that Lum and I were both coincidentally wearing our Hail Sagan shirts, which is like this huge pentagram with Carl Sagan's face in the middle of it. I made him whenever I was working at the t-shirt shop in the mall in Jackson. Oh, my God. And I mailed him one, and he just happened to be wearing it that night. It was an incredible night for brotherhood. It, it feels like a very well thought up, thought up like romantic eye lock, and y'all guys apparently matched. We, we tangled beards a time or two. <laughs> Now I have to compose myself. Oh, my God. Um, Composing beards. I'm sorry. Tangling those beards and mustaches is a good night. (laughs) Um, Next up is Jacques, who brings bedhead half-thought 
Deadhead at Barristers in 1998 is still the best, most transcendent show I've ever seen, and the closest a rock show has come to a religious experience for me. They were touring Transaction De Nova, my favorite album of theirs, and what turned out to be their final full album, and seeing the three guitarists and bassists weaving these minimal parts together in person after in- internalizing the records was re- revelatory. The closing version of the present cut right through me, and they played their cover of Joy Division's Disorder, the thing that made me listen to them to begin with to boot. Tristeza opened it. It was my first time hearing them, and they were an incredible surprise. First of all, he's talking about weaving, and now all I think are about Carol's beards. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, This is... This is a very sparse and intimate, like, kind of sad lullaby that I was not expecting because I don't think Jacques really known for bringing this kind of, like, you know, calm music. Yeah, he brings a lot of experimental stuff for sure. Yeah. But I know uh, Jacques's a big old softy. <laughs> and, yeah, Bedhead, definitely a huge thing for me, you know. Uh, whenever I was a senior in high school and the years shortly thereafter, I was obsessed with, like, instrumental and ambient post-rock stuff like explosions in the sky and godspeed you black emperor and from there i kind of discovered all the slow core bands that influence that sort of stuff like low and codeine galaxy 500 and bedhead and those four bands just blew my mind with like how engaging and heart-rending their songs could be but also like a lot slower and quieter and dynamics than most of the other stuff um I can definitely imagine hearing these arrangements done perfectly in a live setting would be pretty tremendous. And then seeing Tristeza open, <laughs> wow. Like, I'm, I, I wish I could have seen Tristeza. I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Lavelle, who was one of the main members of that band. And even before having heard of Tristeza, I was in a band that sounded exactly like Tristeza, <laughs> pretty much. And so whenever I finally heard him, I was kind of dejected to hear that somebody <laughs> else was doing what we did, except ten times better. But at the same time, you know, holy crap, what an amazing band, and... Uh, we we went on to draw even more influence from them, and just start stealing all their riffs, you know. No, Tristeza is incredible. Bedhead, super seminal band for me. I'm so glad Jacques brought this jam. It's so good. Jacques jams. Jacques. I'm an asshole. I'm sorry, Jacques. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to get like big rubbery one out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Lum really set a precedent. Yes. Now I'm pretty sure everyone's trying to make sure I don't make it through a show now. Um. John Scott brought car seat headrest, the ending of Dramamine. Hate yourself, do you hate yourself? I don't hate myself, I tolerate myself. I wish I was someone else. But it feels too stupid to mention. I know I'll be ripped in heaven. I was young, I was thin, I had money and I loved you, but then came the shabbity bop bop, but she 
first time I saw, oh, I'm sorry, this is from John. <laughs> the first time I saw a car seat headrest, it was at the High Watt in Nashville. There were seriously like 18 people there. I think a Nashville band called Lion Limb opened the show and people were digging it. It had like this twi Twilight 80s vibe with a saxophone, but I wasn't impressed. Next band was Nae from Chicago, and they were super fun surfed out garbage punk from Chicago. They had tons of stage presence, and they were super nice guys. Then came the main event, car seat headrest. Will Toledo looked a lot like Rachel Maddow in his early press pictures. I wasn't expecting what it sounded like, which was muscular lo-fi indie pop in the vein of Guided by Voices. When the band came out to play, Will had on like a SARS face mask and a cup of tea in his hands. I thought, oh shit, this is going to suck. They started with the ending of Dramamine and his pedal fucked up, so he tore it apart in front of us like a spoiled child, and honestly, I was ready to go. But when he got to the end part, he just rocked it the fuck out, even without his pedal. The rest of the show was badass too, and he stuck around to sign records afterwards. 10 out of 10, would see again. I thought it was kind of weasery. There's a little bit of that. I can see where you're getting that Maybe from. it's the haircut. I don't know. The haircut and the <laughs> thick framed glasses, but yeah. I mean, the, some uh, musically, there's, there's some 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 guitarishness sure, that's yeah. in there. I thought it was very thoughtful. There's definitely like a messing around with the dynamics that was cool. It's it's kind of navel gazy, even with like kind of, you know, just all the experimental stuff going around. Like you have these moments of like very inward looking and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I haven't really done the deepest dive on car seat headrest records, but I've I've listened to their album Twin Fantasy quite a bit and sort of a cross section of their other stuff. I can imagine their shows would be either incredibly boring or just like wildly engaging depending on how the singer feels on that particular night. Like it just seems like that would be the the deciding factor. Um I know that like in the title and the lyrics for the song he references ending of drama mean which I'm curious if he's talking about the Modest Mouse song, Drama Mean. It's the only one I can think of. And I think he says something like the, the ending of Drama Mean scares someone in his band when they're on tour or something like that, maybe. Huh. And it's. So wait. It, it has an abrupt stop. So maybe Dude was half asleep and when it abruptly stopped, it scared him a little bit. Huh. I wait, don't know. So I thought or maybe they were like... tripping on Drama Mean. <laughs> That was just like the lyrics were going all drama mean. I always call it drama mean when I'm using the drama mean. I don't know if it's drama mean. You know, it's one of those things where medical professionals really just make shit up. They yeah, don't of know. Course. That's why angina and angina are the same thing. Right. Yeah. Because come on, none of us know any of that. We're all faking our ways. Um, Jack brings this amazing surprise band from out of nowhere. I think nobody's ever heard of them, right? Uh, it's wires spent.
says one of his best live experiences was seeing Wire in 2002 in a small venue called the Echo Lounge, RIP, in Atlanta. He says, Wire, as you probably know, were from the punk class of 77, but grew creatively by leaps and bounds over a very short time. They had come out of retirement again, more ferocious than ever, and their set was one of the most powerful I've ever seen. This one, since they're the punk class of 77, definitely knew they were punk. Yeah. I was like, this sounds like (laughs) punk. I think that I'm not very good at genres, but I'm pretty sure this is punk. Um, I feel like this must have been amazing house show material oh yeah i bet they were blowing minds playing like early on house shows and stuff yeah and like dive bars and you i almost feel like they probably still smell like smoke that's probably true just forever perpetually smelling like cigarette smoke yeah and all their white clothes are like uh probably dingy yeah for sure yeah from the nicotine so yeah, I've I've heard of Wire, but I've never listened to even a note of their music, unfortunately. So well, you have. Yeah, well, I have now. Uh, I'm and I'm glad that I had the occasion to be forced into it. Uh, they definitely rock, and I can imagine seeing them uh, in 2002 when they had been around for 20 plus years would be a pretty incredible experience. Uh, it's easy to recognize like the late 70s punk vibes, but what I particularly love about the version that Jack posted was from like Pitchfork Festival in 2013. Tons of atmospherics and like pedal tweaking throughout and at the end of the song really flangy and phasey guitars and weird layering like that it really sets them apart from like the more straightforward punk rock dudes around the same time Uh, i can't wait to dig more into their catalog and see what i've been missing out on yeah and now you can like deep dive on wire but don't deep dive into wire right and i think also um it came up in the thread that uh fellow ear buddy jacques Went to the same show with Jack, so I want to go on a road trip with those dudes. Apparently, they know like all the secrets of all the cool got, shows. And those dudes have impeccable taste in music, so mm. I'm so glad that they uh, that we ended up with their selections and with this neat anecdote, since anecdotes are what we yeah. like, that they uh, drove from Memphis to Atlanta together to see this band, so it's pretty rad. Ooh. Ooh. That's a long drive. <laughs> also, have you heard of Atlanta traffic? Atlanta traffic? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's awful. People complain about Memphis, but we don't oh, have Atlanta's traffic. Oh, Atlanta's the worst. <laughs> now, rounding out our ear buddies is Metal Johnny, who brings neurosis belief. just saw the mighty neurosis saturday night it was the pinnacle of everything i've ever seen live the sound was crystal clear with the most immense percussive punch i've ever bared to witness to i've ever bared witness to they played for nearly two hours and closed with through silver and blood i was literally in tears the whole time would not imagine metal johnny in tears but i don't know him 
Like Oh yeah, he yeah. cries like a baby. <laughs> and this song, now Metal Johnny is known for being bringing super loud grungy metal. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I have no idea what this is. So this was the first song I listened to of all the selections. And it's just I this song nails impending doom. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly impending doom. It's so well done. I don't know what this dude is doing to his vo- voice, but I I it it was amazing and it was an experience and I almost wanted way more song. Yeah, there's plenty of neurosis to listen to, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely glad Metal Johnny got to see him. I know that I think he saw him at Muddy Roots Festival, which was in uh, Cookville, Tennessee, this last weekend. Ooh. Um, yeah, I know Neurosis were a huge influence on him and a bunch of my other friends who are into heavy music. Uh, neurosis are pioneers of what you might call like post-metal or atmospheric metal, uh, where the point's less about being the loudest and the heaviest, which, don't get me wrong, <laughs> they are the the loudest and heaviest for sure. But it's it's less about that and more about making something transcendent and really emotionally moving. And like you said, they they definitely can nail the feeling of impending doom. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see Neurosis back in 2008 at the very first Scion Fest in Atlanta. It was like a free metal festival. Wait, is it like yeah the the Toyota? Vehicle, yeah, like the <laughs> the company who makes cars, Scion. They put on a series of free concerts every year. Um, one year it was here in Memphis, and it was fucking incredible. But the very first year was in Atlanta, and I got to see Neurosis. And everything Johnny said definitely checks out. They were so incredibly loud, but not in like an abrasive way. It was just this monolithic wall of sound, perfect clarity, and just like emulating the sounds of the album, nearly note perfect, but really taking their time with the crescendos and building up that energy and just diffusing it into this cosmic (laughs) burst whenever the heavy parts dropped. Uh, and they also have a member who exclusively provides like the visual accompaniment to their shows. So they've got these beautiful artistic videos going on behind them and then insane lighting and like atmospheric video being projected onto the band members themselves. It was definitely one of the highlights of that night and probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. Just wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they are an incredible band. They've been around forever and they're, they definitely um, are a milestone band like as far as heavy music when people stopped trying to be the fastest and and all that and like the most brutal they're just like i'm gonna make you feel some things just sit right sit right down and we're gonna we're gonna go inward i feel like i need to go into atmospheric metal now because this is amazing oh yeah i mean through silver and blood johnny mentioned that song uh the titular album through through silver and blood is you said titular i did it's one of my favorite words to use i'm not gonna lie to you (laughs) But yeah, uh, titular song from the titular album through Silver and Blood. Um, it's it's seen as you know, like I said, a milestone in, in heavy music. It's one of the greatest records of all time. Although uh, they have a record called Enemy of the Sun, which is actually my favorite Neurosis record. Ooh. Now we didn't get feedback this week. That's unfortunate. But guess what? I think the whole show was feedback. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. The last show was um, a little bit. Um, no feedback. Yeah. It was Mike feedback. Also, I brought the Decemberist, which he hates, so I feel like right. he made it up. Um, how do we reach you on Twitter? You can get me on Twitter at Gotcha. And I'm at Madam Woolite. The show is at ENDpod. Uh, send us some cool GIFs or... GIFs. 
the Facebook group where everything is happening and all of the amazing stories that we couldn't include because, I mean, there's just so many amazing stories. Uh, Earbuds and Earworms podcast group. Our voicemail line, please, y'all, please, somebody, anybody, leave Talk us a to voicemail us. line. It's 731-400-BUDS or... 731-400-2837. And you can always email the show, endpod at gmail.com, and see the show pick and search everything at endpod.com, part of the 10710 network. And I have a feeling that you have seen They Might Be Giants in concert. I definitely have. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to bring for our final song, uh, their song called The Mesopotamians. Which, uh, whenever I got to see them in Nashville a few months back, was definitely one of the highlights of the show. Had like five part harmonies uh, with only four members on stage. You know, just this incredible transcendent experience to see They Might Be Giants. Tons of weird instrumentation. The harmonies are just so perfect. Those guys are legendary for a reason. And I could talk for another hour about They Might Be Giants, but I'm just going to let you listen to the Mesopotamians. So. Thank, to, thank you to all of your buddies, and I hope you enjoy more They Might Be Giants. From one end of this town to the other and back But no one's ever seen Mesopotamians Sargon, Hammurabi, Ashurbanipal, Pal And Gilgamesh The Mesopotamish sun is beating down And making cracks in the ground But there's nowhere else to stand In Mesopotamia The kingdom where we secretly reign Mesopotamians Sargon, Hammurabi, Ashurbanipal, and Gilgamesh This is my last stick of gum I'm gonna cut it up so everybody else gets some Except for Ashurbanipal who says my haircut Makes me look like a Mohenjo Darin Hey, Ashurbanipal, I'm a Mesopotamian Sargon
I get a big rubbery one thinking about it to this day. <laughs>